Great to have everybody on the most recent episode of Schneps Connects. And I have a sweet story for you of a couple of entrepreneurs, both literally and figuratively, have a fantastic business and built a fantastic following. I have Jackie Cascuna and Brian Smith, who founded Ample Hills Creamery. So many of you may know the story. And if not, it's a fascinating and great story of two entrepreneurs who are going to share it with you today. Ample Hills Creamery was started in 2010 in a tiny shop on Vanderbilt Avenue in Brooklyn. From there, it grew a cult-like following and rapidly expanded to more than a dozen locations, including one in Disney World, after gaining a fan in Disney CEO Bob Iger. They gained an acclaim by being named as one of Oprah's favorites, and everyone knows what that can do for a business. And they served up amazing flavors like salted cracked caramel, ooey-gooey butter cake, and Nona D's oatmeal lace, among many others. Um, and that was one of the things that drew many people both to the shops and to order online. But 10 years later, it all came to a screeching halt, despite investment money and large growth. Uh, but instead, the company had to foreclose at the beginning of 2020, really just at the onset of the pandemic. But the duo who founded Ample Hills is back at it, and they're opening a new shop called The Social in the same part of Brooklyn where it all started. So I'm so thrilled to have with me Jackie and Brian to share their story. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thank Thanks you so for much. having us. Yes. So you have a fascinating story and really developed an amazing brand. So I'd love for you guys just to share a little bit about your backgrounds and what got you into the ice cream business in the beginning. Well, um, I was a teacher and Brian um, was the ice cream obsessed husband of mine that couldn't stop making, talking about ice cream, doing everything um, uh, around ice cream, right? Yeah. I mean, I had been a, a screenwriter, uh, you know, writing bad TV movies, <laughs> sci-fi channel. Um, but, you know, secretly on the side, I was making ice cream and found that... Uh, it was more of a creative outlet than screenwriting, which is strange because, of course, screenwriting is a creative endeavor. But I just found it more fulfilling. Um, and I guess we were around, uh, you know, midlife crisis for me at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we just had kids. Uh, I guess our daughter was two or three yep. and our son was, uh, you know, six months old. And um, I was finding it harder and harder to get that next screenwriting gig. Steven Spielberg wasn't calling. You know, it was it was TV <laughs> movies of the week. Eventually he did. Yeah, but that was to get the ice cream. That was that was later on. Uh, unfortunately, not to buy a script um, or we never would have had Ample Hills. But, um, you know, I think we sort of really married your love of community through teaching and uh, my interest in like ice cream uh, to try to start up something new. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked with young people. I was a teacher. I, I grew up in New York City. Um, and for me, it was also about just creating a space uh, where we could bring our families and friends because um, we didn't really have an ice cream shop in our neighborhood that was welcoming and fun and cool. I mean, I loved ice cream, um, but it was more about the community atmosphere and feel of the and the vibe that that was attractive to me about creating um, Ample Hills. Well, it's great that you guys are able to follow your passion. I mean, that's number one important. And the midlife crisis was no red sports car. It was <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's right. It was an ice cream maker. <laughs> so talk to me about how you went from this passion to making ice cream to opening up a first location. 
yeah i mean i guess uh you know when you're that new at it um you don't know the questions a lot of the questions to ask um that might you know stop you dead in your tracks uh, from starting you just think well i need four walls i need an ice cream maker um and uh, you know i know that it costs this amount to buy milk and cream and and therefore we have to sell this number of scoops a day to like pay the bills and and more or less that was sort of the bottom line um research we'd done mathematically you know we had sort of planned for uh failure or or the getting by we hadn't really planned for uh success and we didn't really know how to um build a business or start a business i took an eight week score new york city score course mm-hmm. um that was my only business background um jackie did all the hiring of all the staff a lot of her former students um and you know we i took a class at uh, penn state they have a week-long ice cream chemistry short course ben and jerry took it yeah. famously and bunch of other people and so uh i learned a little bit about ice cream chemistry there and um you know we got underway in uh may of 2011 when we opened that first shop on yeah Vanderbilt. well we were making it earlier than that but that's right um and selling cart. it through a push cart and then we opened the vanderbilt shop um so yeah well talk about that opening what happened when you guys opened the doors and had the business start off yeah. So, you know, again, we weren't really, you know, sure what to expect when we opened because we'd never started a business. We, you mm-hmm. know, um, we had no idea. And so um, when we opened the doors, it was insane. It was like uh, the, the we just kept selling ice cream and we were like, wow, you know, the lines kept coming. People were were waiting. Um, and within four days, we sold out of all the ice cream. Yeah. Brian at the time was the only person making um, all of the ice cream. Yeah, so, I didn't have any assistance. It was a Wednesday when we opened, and the New York Times had written a story that Wednesday. Flores Fabricant had done a, a small piece about the shop opening, and we had lines that first day. And then by the second day, we started to lose a couple of flavors, and everybody was coming in and congratulating me. And and I was the only one at that time. I hadn't even told Jackie yet that like I I, I knew we weren't going to get through the weekend with the amount of ice cream we had. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't uh, keep, I wasn't able to make it as fast as we were selling it. And it was uh, absolutely terrifying. Um, I guess it was Friday, we uh, were down to about half the flavors. And by Saturday afternoon, we were down to the last two flavors. And we just gave them away for free. We felt so bad. And we shut down for nine days. Yeah, Yeah. nine or 10 days. Yeah, Yeah. entrepreneurs like success story yet like worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Well, we spent six months, uh, you know, building up to get ready to open and spending our life savings to do it. And so to close just four days later, um, we, you know, we didn't know if anybody would be there when we got back. Um, You know, what did we do? We doubled the staff. Yeah, we doubled the staff. You've obviously pulled in a couple people to help you make ice cream, you know, in the back of the house. And um, and then we realized we had to close on Mondays because we just couldn't keep up with demand that first summer. And we we figured it out eventually. But yeah. So what was the next spark? So that's an immediate chemistry that obviously just created by opening the doors. Obviously, you got some organic marketing and you were out there with your push card and people 
you know, knew about the, the brand, but what was the next spark in the business that, that really helped you start to grow even further? Well, I think it was when we started um, shipping ice cream, right? That's right. Yeah, we, yep. we we opened that shop in 2011, and I guess it was about in in July of 2014. Uh, we opened a store in the Gowanus neighborhood um, mm-hmm. that was three or four times as big that had a larger kitchen, a thousand square foot kitchen, which was bigger than the original Vanderbilt shop was itself. Um, because we knew um, that, you know, we weren't able to make enough ice cream and we were still struggling with just keeping up. And so we knew we needed to buy more ice cream makers, have bigger freezers, bigger space. And um, we wanted to build a, a, a larger shop where we could do birthday parties and ice cream classes and, and, and ship ice cream uh, out of. And so we opened that shop in uh, the summer in July of 2014. And by the fall, uh, we were shipping ice cream uh, around the country. And yeah, that's where Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney, ordered um, uh, ice cream uh, the first week that we were shipping it. And we saw his name came up and we sent him a copy of our cookbook, which we had just published. And uh, we sent him uh, the ice cream and um, and he wrote to us maybe just a few days later, just uh, to my personal email and just said, um, you know, wow, your ice cream's amazing. I absolutely love it. Had ice cream all over the world. Yours is my favorite. If there's anything at all I can do to help, let me know. Maybe Ample Hills at Disney, question mark, Bob. And it was just, yeah, exactly. And so I remember we spent about an hour and a half, two hours just trying to think, well, is this really Bob Iger? Is somebody playing a joke on us? What, you know, what do we do? How do I respond? I'd grown up in South Florida, went to Disney a lot as a kid. Um, you know, certainly none of the aesthetics of Disney were at Ample Hills, but all of the experiential uh, component. I think that's clearly what Bob saw from the beginning was our interest in the experience of ice cream. Uh, a lot of people sell perfectly good ice cream. I mean, you can get a perfectly good scoop of ice cream at haagen but nobody goes there to pass the time. And so from the- eclectic, right? I mean, you guys were eclectic from the beginning. Yeah. Like I described some of the flavors, but maybe you can give a better sense of like what you shipped to him as a for yeah. instance. Yeah, and I think it is the, it would, certainly the flavors were playful and whimsical, ooey gooey butter cake. Uh, the munchies, um, salted cracked caramel, salted cracked caramel, sunset on the keys. I yeah. mean, we would we would try to tell stories with ice cream flavors. And when people came into the shop, they could see the ice cream in production. Um, and like I said, we were doing ice cream classes at, by that point uh, and uh, ice cream parties with an ice cream making bicycle. So we were really interested in sort of that, that whole picture um, and, you know, using ice cream just the way I had, honestly, writing screenplays and trying to tell stories with them. And so uh, I think um, Bob really helped to uh, crystallize that. And he, you know, he and I became friends and he became a mentor uh, to us. And that was really the spark that generated um, all, all the excitement and, um, and then drew us into uh, raising money and, and, and gaining investors and deciding to build out a larger uh, company uh, that could have a, a role at Disney and also then 
you know, having written sci-fi movies, um, we then got to do Star Wars ice cream. And after that, it was just all downhill. (laughs) It's interesting because it seems like a dream come true, but sometimes, you know, it might not be. But so when you opened up that second location, was it still your own company or did you take on investors to be able to open up that second location? No, no, it was still wholly us at that time. We had, uh, we were able to pay for it mostly with the profits from the first shop. I think we took out a small bank loan that we then paid back. Um, but no, that was just, that was still just all us. Um, and, uh, yeah. So expanding to Disney, was that when you started saying, you know what, this is bigger than, than the two shops and there's so much potential. So talk me through about what went through your mind and what was the next phase of the business when that started to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing we did with Disney was we did Star Wars ice cream uh, with the uh, opening of the new Star Wars trilogy, um, episode seven. Yeah, the dark side uh, and the light, light side. side. Yeah. And so we did those two flavors, got to meet J.J. Abrams. And, you know, it was, it was a whirlwind, a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and yeah, we did. Then we started to raise money around the same time. Because we figured um, we would want to build out shops more than one every two or three years, which is the sort of pace we were on. We wanted to build out a number of more shops. Um, and so we did that. We raised about $4 million in a first round. Um, and then we started building out a shop at Disney yep. um, and at uh, Disney's Boardwalk in Orlando. Wow. Um, and that opened in 2005. 15 or 16 I, I think it was 2015 yeah <laughs> no, it's hard to remember, remember the details but um you know and, and so that uh, was certainly the next phase uh which was you know very exciting we raised another round a series a round uh, of eight million dollars because then we knew that we needed to build out a larger space we'd opened up a number of other shops uh in the new york area and at that point uh, we were um, tapping out our ability to keep making ice cream at that location in Gowanus in Brooklyn, the second location. And so we started plans to build out a, a large 15,000 square foot um, factory with a retail space and a museum component, uh, which eventually opened in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn um, in 2018. 2018. Yeah, um, which led directly to us uh, filing bankruptcy a little bit later on. But <laughs> maybe I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know, I think like an entrepreneur like myself, you know, you always want to grow. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you're you're bred for that to grow and grow and grow. But I guess the question that I have for you is, what what went wrong and what what happened in the growth mm-hmm. that you learned from that mm-hmm. caused the company to go bankruptcy? Because I assume getting that commitment and or publicity visibility with Disney World. I mean, here you are, two shops, and now one of the largest corporations in the world wants to. Did that lead to people um, investing in you and you guys just maybe expanding faster than you were built to? I mean, what what, what could you say led to um, the issues that you encountered from growth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It it it, um, it was both the greatest thing that happened to us, and and ultimately, based on the decisions that we made in relation to it, 
you know, uh, the worst thing that happened to us. But it wasn't in and of itself good or bad. It was the decisions that we made in re relation to it. In other words, you know, we could have, I could have formed and maintained an incredible relationship with Bob Iger and had him as a mentor, and we could have done one or two license deals with Disney and that raised the, the, the awareness of Ample Hills. But we kept doing it. And, and I, you know, we went back and did Mickey Mouse ice cream. We went back and did another Star Wars um, series of ice cream for episode eight. We did three Marvel flavors of ice cream. And we started to work on um, an opening a shop in um, Disney in Orlando at, at part of Disney's... Um, Disney Springs. Disney Springs. We mm -hmm. also opened a shop in Los Angeles, not at Disney, but in part because Disney was in Los Angeles and the entertainment industry was in LA. And so we started to, um, you know, we started to take our eye off of what, um, of, of Ample Hills. And we started to think, I think, too much on uh, how we could be a creative partner uh, to somebody else, whether it was Disney or even other people that we then started talking to. And, and so it, it, it almost was like a, a virus that, you know, uh, I mean, I take responsibility. I was just, you know, hook, line and sinker excited to do those projects and believed that we were, and we did them, you know, with integrity and excitement and, and, uh, and creativity. And they were, you know, great ice cream and great ice cream flavors. It's just that, um, we weren't focusing on, um, the economics, the bottom line. We were just, um, chasing, um, you know, a story and chasing growth for growth's sakes. And, you know, all of our investors were not entrepreneurs themselves. They were investors. And so they, um, you know, I, I think everybody around the table, you know, our, our board and, 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 and all of our team, you know, was focused um, more on growth than on uh, profitability and economics. And we didn't have the background, um, you know, in business to keep our eye on that ball and we didn't and and so we were growing at a really nice clip but we were uh losing focus on on the you know just the pure math of of is this a good economic decision to take this on this project on this project on this project on the ultimate one was building a factory so i mean our natural growth would have been to have opened up a three to five thousand square foot commissary kitchen somewhere in brooklyn or new jersey or uh and not have it open to the public not build out a museum component but instead we went to a fifteen thousand square foot facility with museum components you know with a budget of four million dollars that ended up costing us six and a half million dollars and you know that price tag alone was painful but it was the fact that really what sank us was that we built a factory for a business that had 25 to 30 shops and we only had 12 to 13 14 shops and so we just we were not we we were building for a future that didn't that didn't get there and um we just um we ran out of money and we ran out of time mm -hmm. so talk to me about when it hit you when did you realize that you know what we're running out of cash because I'm sure it gets to a point where you're busy operating, you're mm -hmm. running the business, you, you know, you're opening all these locations, you know, based on, I'm sure the success of those locations and further growth would stabilize the business. But at what point did it hit you? This, this really is just not going to go well. 
Yeah, that was, I guess it was in July of 2019 when our um, director of finance approached us and, and let us know that this was, that we were, we were going to um, have a real problem because July is obviously for ice cream, July and August is when we make the bulk of our, our money. And then, you know, if, if you're seeing that in July where we're cash negative um that that's a big problem yeah <laughs> and we weren't yeah and we weren't cash negative at that time but no. he could see you know basically he pulled us aside and he said it looks to me like we're going to run out of money in november uh, or december and and we were like what i mean we you know it was just um it was just shocking that uh that that that, that was the case we just raised more money um we just opened up new shops um and you know, so we started. A, a we had no idea. Yeah, we had no was... idea, which is ridiculous. I yeah. mean, in, in in hindsight, clearly, um, <laughs> I should have been. You know, we didn't have the right finance team in place. We didn't have a big enough finance team right. in place um, to be monitoring the stuff more. Uh, you know, more regularly. You know, it shouldn't have come as a shock to the CEO, to me, to you know that that we were running out of money. Um, that's uh, an insanity, you know, that I, I have to live with. And, and clearly, uh, when we do it again, it won't happen again. I mean, you know, we'll be on top of that um, and won't just uh, be trusting that, you know, growth will solve all of our problems. So, I mean, we started in on a, a, a series of uh, cost cutting measures, but it became very clear very quickly that we weren't going to be able to cut our way out of the problem and 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 i say that because the factory when when we got that meeting in july of 2019 the factory had been open for less than 12 months the factory didn't really get operational until august or september of 2018 and so i mean it was operational for maybe 18, 19 months before we went bankrupt. I mean, it was it's amazingly how short it was. And that's how quickly we were bleeding money out of the factory, how, how expensive it was to operate um, the factory. So had we not opened the factory, um, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have had that problem. But we weren't in a position to be able to close the factory um, because we had no other options at that point. So the only real option was to, of course, find ways to cut our, our processes, uh, but to grow. To, you know, the only way it would be to grow out of the problem, to grow into the factory. Um, find co-packers that we could, you know, other business that we could bring into the factory that wasn't Ample Hills. We started looking at that um, and uh, we tried to raise more money. But of course, at that point, we'd raised uh, a lot of money from a lot of investors who were uh, understandably ticked off, you know, they, they didn't want to put more money into uh, what they then saw as a sinking ship. And so even though the brand and the story and the ice cream was no different and was just as hot and as exciting as ever, I mean, the Marvel project launched at the same time we were getting that news about running out of money. Mm -hmm. So the brand was still very um, valuable, um, but um, we couldn't get... We couldn't find anybody to bankroll us through what was going to be a very difficult period of time in which we'd have to grow into the size of this factory that we built. It sounds like a heart-wrenching story because the product is amazing. Mm -hmm. So the product's not the problem, but sometimes you grow too fast and you know a couple of big decisions can can you know come around and, and impact the business. So you know talking through it, you had to obviously file for bankruptcy. 
Um, a lot of people may not understand Ample Hills is still alive. The brand is out there, but it's not something that you are part of anymore. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, we, we filed for bankruptcy in March, March 2000, I'm sorry, March 16th, um, 2020, the same day basically that the city shut down due to COVID. And, um, and we, you know, um, at that time, I think we thought that we would be able to come out of it with, a, with we had a bunch of different really exciting uh, companies that wanted to buy Ample Hills. And we thought, great, we'll be able to work with them and be a part of it. But in the end, it was, you know, basically bottom feeders that, that you know, were there. Yeah. to uh to and and not not people we really felt um we wanted to work with yeah. i mean covid um, work with yeah covid um you know wasn't the reason we filed for bankruptcy but covid was the reason ultimately that um the other suitors and and partners um evaporated because mm-hmm. you know it became you know we were trying to um the company was trying to sort of get itself out of bankruptcy as COVID was decimating the country, you know, in March and April and May, uh, the bankruptcy closed in June, July, you know, and um, everybody just evaporated because they thought, well, here you have a brick and mortar business, you know, that relies on people being inside. Um, how is that going to be something to to buy? And so, unfortunately, there was only one bid from this company in Oregon. Um, and um you know, they're a machine parts company. We tried to talk to them and, and, and work with them, but it just became very clear that they had no interest in, in, in us and in the founder's um, story. And um, we didn't feel like we could, in good conscience, work with them. And they made it clear they didn't really want to work with us. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think what's what's important for folks to know that I think can be misunderstood or misrepresented is that, you know, Jackie and I didn't sell Ample Hills in bankruptcy. You know, we filed for bankruptcy and then the, the trustees, you know, sell the assets of Ample Hills. Um, you know, Jackie and I ended up with absolutely nothing. I mean, all, except for... Uh, Lots of debt. Another $3 million of debt that Ample Hills had that we signed personal guarantees on, which then led directly to us filing for personal bankruptcy, Um, you know, because we we didn't have anything. We had put everything into the business. So um, I just uh, I think it's important to know that we did not profit from the sale of the company in the bankruptcy. Well, listen, I'm sure it was a very painful Hmm. process and hard to live through. But, you know, listen, the bright side is that you create something that can live on, though. Um, and that really transitioned us to a little bit brighter news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, your passion lives on. Clearly, you guys are extremely talented in A, making ice cream and B, marketing it. Right. I mean, it really became um, almost internationally known in a very short period of time. And that was pretty organic. Hmm. I mean, you yeah. pay for that. It really came about. So, you're going to be opening up a new shop. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and the name of it is The Social. Do I have that right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's The Social. I mean, you know, over the last, uh, you know, almost well, over a year, we've been dealing with uh, the word social in a kind of negative way, right? Social distancing and uh, um, being socially isolated. And we want to kind of reclaim that experience um, because, Ice cream, after all, is is it brings people together, 
And um, we're leaning into the, you know, ice cream social as an experience that we want to, you know, uh, really, really hone in on at the social. So, so where are you going to be located, the first location? And are you going to focus on shipping like you did in the past? Or is it going to be the storefront that has your main focus? Well, in the beginning, it's going to be the storefront. Um, eventually, we definitely want to ship. But um, but it's in Prospect Heights um, and on uh, Washington and St. John's. And we're hoping to open um, in midsummer. Um, and we're going to, we have enough space to, you know, host monthly ice cream socials, which we absolutely intend to do. Yeah. Um, and we're very excited about it. Um, it was something that we had started to kind of do um, at Ample Hills, but really, this is more about um, creating these experiences, these these social gatherings, yeah. um, socially distant at first if we have to, but yeah. <laughs> eventually not. So the big question that everybody wants to know, including myself, because I live in Brooklyn, so I'll definitely be visiting. Talk nice. to us about what flavors or creations you can share at this point that you're going to be doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that uh, for me, creatively, it's been it's just uh, an amazing experience because obviously for for the last few years at Ample Hills, I had um, pulled myself out of the kitchen, right, in order to focus on growing the business. And, you know, we had talented people making ice cream and we had a director of ice cream production and he, he was very good. But I had sort of taken my... Um, eye off of the actual process of the making of ice cream on a day-to-day -day basis and, and, and a lot of the creative energy that went into it. And um, so I, I've gone back, we have a hand-cranked ice cream maker here at home, and I have spent the last you know six to nine months um, making ice cream every single week and, and oftentimes every day. And um, it's just been uh, a thrill to get in and start to experiment. One of the things I think we got complacent with at Ample Hills was just you know what how we made the ice cream and what the basic formulas were, and we didn't really affect change to them. And so I've gone in and um, been studying that and studying the recipes that you know I had created there at Ample Hills and and looking at ways to um, uh, you know. Improve upon the texture of the ice cream and um, and and keep the flavors playful and whimsical and so yeah I mean it's it's been it's been very exciting and we're definitely we've got a we've got a list of the the opening flavors that we're we've developed and the stories around them uh, I mean some of them are. Um, double the dough. Oh, double the dough, which <laughs> is like a cookie dough infused ice cream with chocolate chocolate chip cookie dough um, and uh, we've got a flavor called the old ball game which is going to be a popcorn infused ice cream with um, oh my god what's in that oh, oh peanut brittle right so sort of representing like cracker jacks uh, and, mm -hmm. and um, I mean ball game. it's so good I just have to do mm -hmm. a shameless yeah. plug for Brian's ability to <laughs> reinvent constantly and I'm the flavor that I am just absolutely in love with is one that we just made, um, which is a corn ice cream with honeycomb candy and swirls of blackberry wow. uh, ripple. And it's so good. I mean, the thing was, was that we, we made a flavor like that at Ample Hills, um, but, it, you know, in comparison, you know, it was a little icy. I think the, mm -hmm. the, the blueberry uh, swirl in there was, was too icy. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you've figured out a way to perfect 
the swirl. Yeah. So, so it's been fun to <laughs> go back to the drawing board and experiment. So, you know, we're not going to be, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, it's, it's still us. I mean, it's so people are going to recognize some things. I mean, we'll have a flavor called ooier and gooier. Our most popular flavor at Ample Hills was ooey gooey butter cake. And so we're like, how can we make that ooier and gooier? And so I think we have. I, I don't want to go into the details of what's in that flavor yet, but it's going to be ooier and gooier then. Um, so people will recognize some things that, when they get into the shop. And, and one of the other exciting things that we never were able to do at Ample Hills, but we have the space here, is to have a, a soda fountain, like a, 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 a seltzer arm. And so we're going to be making our own syrups, like uh, orange syrup and chocolate syrup and vanilla syrups to make uh, all ice cream sodas um, and ice cream floats. So that's I something. Love we'll those. When do you expect to open and how can people find out and more info, whether it's your website or social? Yeah, uh, excuse me. Um, uh, yeah, I would say follow us on Instagram at the Brooklyn Ice Cream Social. Right. Yes, and we probably will be opening, we're planning to open in July at some point. So no, no specific date yet, but we're hoping to make it by National Ice Cream Day. Well, listen, clearly you guys are extremely talented and you know, I give you a lot of credit for wiping yourselves off and picking yourselves up because in life, you can't look backwards. You have to look yeah. straight ahead. And, you know, I really wish you guys the best of luck. Um, just to just to kind of end off, you know, you've you've experienced so much. And, you know, if anything, I feel like business people, entrepreneurs just taking things away. What advice would you give to other people that are starting businesses that you can take away from your experiences and just share with us? I mean, I'll go first. I mean, I, I you know, for me, I, I think you have to have a story to tell. You have to do the, the homework and the research to, you know, that you can make a product, whether it's a food or whatever it is that, that obviously people care about and like. But to be able to, um, you know, I know we call this marketing, but I just think of it as really a storytelling um, you know, what's the reason for being, you know, what's the why behind it, you know, and how does it connect to something richer and deeper? Um, you know, to me, that's the sort of the number one thing. And then I think not straying from that um, as you grow, you know, and can, can you grow without, um, you know, giving away too much? And I don't mean equity to investors. I mean, can you can you not give away the heart and soul of the business uh, as you grow and it becomes something else that, that people aren't going to um, care about as much. Yeah, well said. Okay. I, I would only add to that that um, the um, a lot of people say, you know, it's business, it shouldn't be personal. And I completely disagree with that. I think it has <laughs> to be personal. <laughs> Everything about um, Ample Hills for us was very personal. Everything about the social is very personal. And I think that that needs to come across in in what you're creating spoken like a true entrepreneur <laughs> <laughs> thank you brian jackie thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story and wish you the best of luck with the social i know i'll be there with the kids and wife <laughs> and very much look forward to it thank, thank you so you, much Josh. thank you this is the schneps connects podcast make sure to visit us at podcast.schnepsmedia.com or subscribe and stream us wherever you get your podcasts <laughs>